0: I read uh, an interesting story a couple of weeks ago from uh, from a woman who was writing about her a reflection based on her nativity set. Now nativity sets can be they can be very simple and or stylized, or you know they could be very elaborate and, and detailed. You know, and if the church, and if church wasn't a big part of your life growing up, maybe your Christmas decorations didn't include a nativity scene. And that's fine. But for me, nativity scenes were a big part of what made Christmas special. As a kid, you know, we didn't put baby Jesus in the creche until Christmas morning. And, and the wise men only were allowed to be, to come out after Christmas and and doing all that was part of our family's Christmas traditions. And I suppose it was a way for my parents to, well, get me excited by something other than the presents lying under the tree. That's really, you know, that got me going. But they 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 wanted me to get excited about something else, and they wanted to illustrate and pass on the real story of Christmas. So when I was reading the story that this woman wrote, this this reflection, where she's talking about setting up her nativity scene, it really resonated with me. And unfortunately, I can't find the article now to, to cite the author, but she was saying she always set up her nativity scene in her home the same way she had learned to do it from her parents. Sort of like the way we have it right here in the church, with Mary and Joseph on either side of the crash, looking at the baby Jesus. You know, and it wasn't a conscious decision she was making. It's just the way in her mind it was supposed to be. You know, Mary on one side looking with love and, and wonder and awe at her newborn child, Joseph on the other side contemplating this new life that he's, that he's now responsible for. As, as she got older... And she got married and started her own family. Every year, she set up her nativity scene the same way. Even though over the years, you know, she changed apartments. She moved into a house. And later on, her husband bought a, a very nice nativity set to lay out. But Mary and Joseph were always set up on either side of the creche with baby Jesus between them. Then one year, she said, she, it just struck her to ask, Why? And maybe she said it was because she now had children of her own, but she asked herself, why were Joseph and Mary placed like that? You know, yes, they, they're both marveling at, at Jesus, at this, this child that's born to them. They're both, you know, looking with awe upon this child, but they're apart. And she said, that's not really what her experience has been. She said, in her experience, Mary and Joseph should be together, side by side. She said, that's, that's what her experience was, that a new child brings people together. It doesn't drive them apart. That... I think it seems to me, is the closest we tangibly get here on earth of what divine love is. It's the closest we get to pure, selfless divine love, the love a parent has for their newborn child. And that's really what we're celebrating at Christmas. This divine love is what prompts all the feelings of warmth, and, and peace, and, and the stillness that we crave this time of year, the togetherness that we so long for at Christmas. This is the divine life, the divine love, that brings people together, that prompts families to travel long distances in crazy storms in order to get together, to endure all the delays and the, the lineups and the complications and the expense just to be able to be together at Christmas. The love of a parent, of God the Father, for you, his beloved daughter, for you, his beloved son. That divine love is what prompts all of this. His love for you and me is so strong, so pure, that he sent his son to become one of us. To embody that love in a human being, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who who was God, became one of us to manifest his love for us, to touch us and to be close to us, to walk with us in true authentic friendship. There is in Jesus a love and a friendship that is available to you and to me that is selfless, that is pure, that is divine, and make no mistake, it is real. There is no self-interest in God's love for you. He doesn't gain anything in loving you. And, and too often, and I think we throw around a word like love kind of carelessly. You know, I one of the things I love about this. I love turkey. You know, like, I love the smell of it in the oven. I, I can't wait to have turkey tomorrow with my family. That's sort of like, that's one of the, the things I, I just really enjoy, and, and I, and I love, oh, I love turkey sandwiches, so like a leftover turkey in the sandwiches. That's great, I, and I say I love turkey, but maybe we shouldn't ask the turkey how he feels about all this, right? I don't, well, he, she, I don't know if it's a male or female turkey I got, you know, this year that I'm going to be cooking. But anyway, I, all I know is that I'm pretty sure that turkey isn't thrilled by my love for it. There isn't much in it for the turkey. And when I use the word love in that way to describe how much I enjoy and, and I derive pleasure from some food, I'm, I'm actually making it all about me. It's about what I get out of it. It's entirely self-centered. And now that may very well be understandable when we're describing food. But we all know too well that there are way more important relationships in our life where the word love is used. And it turns out to be anything but. Too many of us have had the experience of having someone say, I love you we end up still being treated like that turkey. It's still all about them. It's what's in it for them. What pleasure, what benefit they derive from the relationship. It has nothing to do with you. You're filling a void in their life and that's about it. And that couldn't be the furthest, further from the, the true, pure love that God has for you. God doesn't want anything from you. He wants everything for you. And he wants it for eternity with you. He wants you to know and experience his love for you, to know that you are lovable. That's it, nothing more than that. And often, the closest we get to that love is the love of a mother or a father that they have for their infant child. Parents don't want anything from their baby. Other, maybe other than for them to know, to the very core of their being, that they are loved. That's all they want for their child. Well, maybe if the baby could sleep through the night, that'd be good too. If you know, you get a good eight hours sleep, that'd be great. And while you're at it, if the baby could change its own diapers, that'd be really cool too. But really, all a mom or a dad wants is for their child to know that they are loved. And that's how God loves us, freely, deeply, wanting nothing in return. You know, I remember when, when, I was, when I was in my late 20s, uh, I, I bought a pickup truck. I love that pickup truck. Almost as much as I love turkey. But I like lo- you know the pickup truck I was cool. I, lo- I really loved having a pickup truck except the end of June beginning of July during moving season on July 1st when then you get the calls from all those friends wanting you to help them move. And and for too long you know that's that's how I treated Jesus. Use the friend with a pickup. The friend I called when I needed something. Not when I actually really wanted to, to give out of my, out of selflessly out of friendship, not when I really wanted just to spend time with a friend, but when I needed something. And that that is actually the opposite of how Jesus treats us. He knows what we need before we even we even do. He'd be the friend calling you saying, hey, I hear you moving. Do you, need a, do, you need a, do you need a hand? I'm ready to give you a hand. I'm ready to lend you my truck. That's the friendship that Jesus wants for us, wants to give us. That's the true, authentic friendship that he offers you and me. And that's why he came into our world on Christmas, because he knew we needed his love and his friendship before we did. Before we knew we needed saving, Before we even realized we needed a savior, he came. And even if we haven't realized it yet, he's still there for you. One of the other things that happened in my 20s at some point is I came to the realization that I am not God. As a teenager, you know, pretty much thought I could do anything that I was... uh, that I was basically God. And in my early 20s, probably a little bit of that too. But at some point, you start to realize I'm not God. That I can't do everything myself. I'm not completely self-sufficient. I need other people. And so in that, in that part of my life, there was times when I, when I would sin in the, in the way that I didn't love selflessly. I didn't even know I could Love selflessly. You know, I wasn't being a friend in a selfless way. Sometimes I was was just looking for what's in it for me. What am I getting out of this? But just knowing and accepting God's love for me, accepting that I am his son, that he looks at me like Mary and Joseph look at the baby Jesus, like this little child. God looks at me like this little child in a manger. And knowing that, has been transformative. Accepting that, that grace, I guess you'd call it, that has made it so that I am able, at times, to love in that same pure, selfless way. And it's not all the time. You know, I can still be like that misbehaving child that my mother used to say drove her up the walls and she'd kick me out to go play in the yard because she'd want to see me. I can still be that petulant child sometimes. But I am able to ask forgiveness for the times when I do come up short. And I am able to put others first. And it means that I'm not looking to use someone to fill a void in my life, which I think happens way too often. Because God's love and His grace has, always, has already filled that void for me. And that means that I'm, I'm better able to listen to others, to really listen. I'm better able to see the good in others to see what God sees in them. And it means I grow daily in my desire to help people fill the most profound desire they have to fill the void that's in in their life, to know that they are loved, that they are lovable. And I'm by no means perfect at it. I'm not even the best at it. God is the only one who's perfect. Jesus is the best Savior we could ever imagine. But wouldn't our world, our relationships, be so much better, so much more fulfilling and life-giving if we could all honestly say that we are striving, striving to love others in that divine way? Christmas is, is just about the only time when the world wants to even pay lip service to that kind of authentic love. With the birth of Christ, divine life became a person, became real, became accessible to all. And you can, you can experience it, not just tonight. Not during, just during this brief season, but every day. The nativity scene of Mary and Joseph growing closer together because of Christ. That can be your scene. And it can be for the rest of your life.